1: Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. We are now broadcasting in 51 different countries, and that just thrills me. And it also makes it exquisitely clear that people from all over the world are looking for the message of hope. That no matter what happens to you, that as long as you are still six feet, six feet sorry, above ground, you can certainly have hope. And that's what this show is all about. I appreciate all my listeners and I appreciate it when you leave your comments and your reviews. It means a great deal to me personally and also to my guests because they want to connect with you. It is what is going to make and has already made this show a success. Thank you. Michelle Christoffels wrote her autobiography entitled, No Glory for Me. She was Australia's first registered professional female boxer, dual Victorian champion, and Australian champion kickboxer. But there was a time in Michelle's life when she had a serious downfall and she spent time in in psychiatric care and a criminal conviction. She went from street gangs to making national headlines and paid a big price for fame. We are thrilled to listen and to hear Michelle's story. Thank you so much for joining me today. Welcome, Michelle.
2: Thank you, Carol. Welcome to you, too.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, my first question is, as you know, and we all do, that everybody has a story. And each story starts long before the circumstances, usually, that creates that story, and a circumstance that changes our lives. So, Michelle, let's start with your youth, and what were your goals for your life, and what do you want to share that was um, pivotal in your life?
2: Oh, um, well, I immigrated to Australia at the age of four with my parents, uh, who were from Germany, um, and... Uh, yes yeah, subsequently copped a fair bit of um, racism etc um, as a youngster I loved animals and I still do and I always just wanted to be a vet that was my big goal. Oh really? Um, yeah yeah. Sorry, okay yep. <laughs> yeah.
1: go ahead and so what happened that, that changed um, that goal?
2: Over the years uh, my father passed away when I was nine and so then mum my father was an architect, and after that, my mother had to take on factory jobs, et cetera, to um, help us survive. I've got two younger brothers, um, so she went to work for three jobs, and we were sort of pretty much left to our own devices um, while she was at work. And uh, eventually, I sort of started running with street gangs, learned to defend myself and um, retaliate for all the bullying, and, yeah, headed down a not-so-pretty path as a youngster.
1: So what kind of bullying were you... Um-
2: Oh, just anti-German. At that stage, okay. we moved to a, a, a suburb which is predominantly English-Australian and there's only one other Italian family and we were the Krauts. So basically, similar to what Muslim people suffer today, the okay. Germans, I believe, suffered back then, Yeah.
1: And how did you cope with that? You said you you joined Street Kings. Did you fight, or what did you do? Yes,
2: yes. I um, Once my father passed away, I sort of lost a lot of fear and defended myself once and actually won a scrap against a little boy. <laughs> and um, we well, were both little, of course. And, yeah, <laughs> after winning my first you know little school scuffle, I realized that if you defend yourself, people leave you alone and just went from there.
1: And you said after your father died... Were mm-hmm. you afraid of your father? Or?
2: No, no, gosh, no. But just um, I felt nothing else could hurt me after that. I see. Okay. Yeah, no, my father was brilliant. No.
1: Okay. All right, anything else you want to share about mm-hmm. uh, your youth as far as, you know, what your goals were and why you ever thought of boxing or?
2: Oh, right, yes. Well, um, what happened was, yeah, with Street fight, I sort of um, left school. I was expelled from school again because of um, my behavior um, and then joined gangs and took up martial arts and After losing a particular street fight, I, I went to a local boxing gym, and the chap took me in and that 's what started my career
1: <laughs> do you were you um, rebelling do you think at this time, or was it something that you just enjoyed doing
2: no I, I think i was I, I was in fear of everybody, and I just hid it by acting the opposite way um I was in constant fear as a youngster and even as a teenager when I was fighting in the streets it was still always fear related but I'd hide it behind this you know false bravado
1: right and were you afraid that somebody would try to beat you up or hurt you is that where your fear was
2: yeah pretty much in my family yeah we were basically nerds we were you know my was an architect my mother was a nurse and we I just loved the library and studying reading books and but being um you know krauts as you will um we were not allowed we weren't left alone by the other kids. We were constantly tormented. So yeah.
1: Now as you got older, what changed?
2: Mm-hmm. Once I sort of learned how to fight, I then became the bully. Not so much bullying weaker people, but if somebody approached me and said, oh, so and so's picking on me, I wouldn't even question it. I'd go and fight their battles for them. (laughs) (laughs) So I became a bit of a superhero in my own mind.
1: (laughs) And where did you learn to fight? Was it in the street gangs?
2: Um, no, I took up taekwondo and then later on boxing as well as street fighting. Yeah, I dabbled in judo. I didn't like judo too much, but I loved the the kicking side. So I did. Yeah, mainly taekwondo and then boxing.
1: So obviously, you enjoyed it.
2: Yes, I did. Yeah, that's by the time I'd um then when I started the taekwondo and other. I did several other martial arts. I learnt more of the discipline side, and I love that. You know, the respect and the. I realise you can't just run around belting people for fun, you know. And it, it taught me there's a lot more to it. And I got into the mental side of it as well, just where you're just taking on yourself the challenges against yourself, not against others.
1: So, were you you were obviously learning self-discipline then as well? That's right. That's okay.
2: right. Yes, I was. Yeah.
1: Now, um, the next point that you had made in your bio mm-hmm. was that you had opened two gay bars. Now, what? Um, what brought you to that? Like, why? how did you go from wanting to fight or to box (coughs) to opening gay bars?
2: Um, Well, what happened was I, while I was running with the gangs, and they were sort of skinhead gangs, back in the day we were called Sharpies or skinheads, and I chose to join those. Um, There was also a time when um, gay bashing was part of their fun or their entertainment, and I'd sort of already known, realised I was gay, so I had a moment there where I had to decide between my gang or being who I really was, um, because what would happen was I started going to nightclubs at a very early age, 16, 17, and back in the day there were no women's bars, just men's, and only gay man could sign you into a club. Um, so I started moving around those circles, and then I had, I'd hear from my other friends of skinheads that we'd, they'd belted somebody, and it'd be friends of mine from the gay world. So I was torn between these two worlds, so I had to make mm. a decision and left the gangs and, you know, grow out of it, which I did and um, subsequently hung around the bars for three years till I turned 19 and a chap had just observed me and my social circle was quite large, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. um, and just offered me a bar to run, yeah, and that's how that started and it happened, just happened to be the second only female bar to open in Melbourne and then I opened a third one because of its success, yeah.
1: So they were just female gay bars, then, is yes, what you're yes, saying, they right? were. Yep. Now, did you feel at that point that you had arrived, that you had gained the success you were looking for in life?
2: Oh, for sure. At nineteen, I thought I had it all. Um, you know, later I went out with, happened to be an actress, and you know, had the fancy car, and money was just pouring in. Um, and the chap who would offered me the bars thought I was a lot older than what I was because of the amount of years I'd spent in the scene. <laughs> I think we had a conversation once, I think, when I turned 20, and he was horrified that I was only 20. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, so you yeah. had a
1: lot of drive, obviously.
2: Yes, yeah. Oh, I thought I was hitting a bit back in the day.
1: <laughs> so what kind of acting did you do?
2: Oh, I wasn't an actor. My partner was at the time. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, and, okay. Yeah. So and it just fed my ego, you know. of to, course. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm.
1: And then how did you go from running gay bars to becoming a, a boxer?
2: Um, oh, what happened was I was involved in a, a car accident um, where I knocked down a, a little girl. Um, it was raining and the brakes didn't work. You know, it was a um, just a terrible scenario. And um, while she was in hospital, I was sitting in my bar and people just complained about beer. And I just felt how trivial – I saw for once first time that, how trivial that life was compared to real issues Um. And it was sort of a a bit of a turning point. So I wanted more from life than just the superficial side, you know. So I subsequently left the gay bars and, um, yeah, wandered around odd jobs and then took up boxing. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah. It just made sense. after When you spend years in the streets just scrappy fighting and and all the techniques, because I I looked at things, fighting from a technical point of view, Um, I just loved it, yeah. Duck so could, to water.
1: <laughs> could you use your those techniques on the street? Or rather, could you use the techniques you learned on the street in the ring?
2: Um, not really, no. He actually, my trainer, stripped all that out of us. You know, he wasn't there to teach to train street punks, so to speak. Um, no, it was discipline. Um, and sure, you, you know, if you want to be stupid, you can. But no, I, I was I was then, I just wanted to just get as fit as I could, yeah. It was and a different was that mindset. A- Mm-hmm.
1: Was that a difficult transition for you?
2: No, no. I I was more than ready to leave that other life behind. You know, no. This was just pure sport. Now it was awesome.
1: And how did you get involved with the challenges of trying out for um, the various awards, etc. That you received? Tell us the story about that.
2: With uh, the kickboxing, well, ones, all of or? them.
1: You were um, you were a dual Victorian champion yep. What, is yep. that kickboxing or?
2: Yep, that okay. was kickboxing. Yes, what happened was, um while I was boxing, um a friend of mine called the local paper. Then, then I got into the, the the big newspapers and the media because I was the first and got registered, got a lot of attention. Had one fight, and the lady I fought, you know, they called it a draw. It sort of wasn't, but they wanted to keep the boxing thing alive. Uh, but she disappeared before we could have a rematch, and. I'd been at it for about eight years by then, so I was disillusioned and left. But there was a chap that I'd met during boxing that um, had opened up a kickboxing gym and I was approached by another friend years later whether I wanted to join. So I went and had a look and subsequently joined the kickboxing gym and um, went from there, yeah.
1: Now, just before your first match, now this, this would mm-hmm. be which match that you were The, are the with...
2: kickboxing match. Sorry, okay. you're not the boxing match. Okay. Right? Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you were drugged and you were raped by your manager. Yeah. So yeah. did that destroy you? How did you come out from under that? How did that affect you?
2: Right. Well, I'll give you a bit of a backstory. Yes, While please. I knew this chap in boxing, he was very envious of all the media attention I received because he'd been training for years and a lot of the boys were. Most of them were okay. But, you know, you get that um, I've had 100 fights and nobody knows who I am and a female comes along has one fight and gets all this attention. So this guy was a bit um he was a bit of a sort of a thorn in my side. But then over the years, you know, I forgot about all that. And when I rejoined his gym, he promised because I couldn't get a fight, that's why I quit boxing. Mm. He then said, look, if you turn to kickboxing I can get you fights, I can make you a champion, blah blah. So okay. I sort of fell for that, yeah. And um he trained me up and my hopes were just just reignited. I thought, oh my God, I'm actually going to, I mightn't be a boxer, but as a kickboxer, I can actually get fights, you know? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was so pumped that I would have done anything, you know, to, and he booked the fight, fight was all set. And yeah, then t- two days, three days before the actual fight, I was drugged, dumb, raped. Yeah.
1: And how did that affect you as far as did you on a fight or what did you.
2: No, I didn't know. I was. In the between time, I'd become a uh, railway investigation officer in, in between boxing, kickboxing years and um, I knew a lot about the law. I'd already left that trade. but I knew a lot about the law and how it works and points of proof and um, at that stage I thought, well, he, firstly, because I was drugged, um, I, hadn't, I didn't see him do it, didn't actually feel him do it, you know what I mean, blah, blah, right. blah. Yeah, in my head, it was just a twisted way of thinking. You know, I'd sort of crawled home and thought, well, and had a, he did the usual, as you two had the shower and the, the lengthy shower, went to bed, slept for about a day and a half or something. And when I woke up, I all this stuff just was just, just going through my head. Um, no one's going to believe me, you know. So then I was torn. And um, he he run, runs and he's still around. He runs a security bit firm, and I've seen what he's done to other people who cross him, you know. Mm-hmm. So I thought if I cross him and he doesn't get locked up, my my partner at the times in you know in danger and my uh-huh. family. So okay. um, yeah, I chose what I call the casting couch. In other words, you know, just say nothing and just accept that we've just he's just done this thing and pretend like nothing's happened and switched off about what happened and just went back to the gym a couple of days later before the fight. Yeah.
1: And so then you did fight obviously. Yeah, I did
2: fight. Yeah, yeah. Were um, you
1: did you have extra anger in you when you were when you were indoors?
2: Um, <laughs> Yeah, not really, not towards that girl, you know. Okay. Um it, I I became a robot. That's the best way to describe it. It was that was just pushed to the back of my head and I focus on the job at hand. Um you sort of become soldier like I believe if you're a professional fighter, you know what I mean? There's a job to do. You're you know, well not I wasn't even paid, but you know, in my mindset people pay to come and see me fight and that's what I delivered. Yeah. So, so there was two worlds.
1: As a champion, how did mm. you handle defeat?
2: I've never been defeated.
1: You've never been defeated. I wanted undefeated. to hear
2: that. Yep, <laughs> undefeated
1: champion. Okay, yeah. well that that's good to know. How does that make you feel?
2: <laughs> awesome. I want to stay that way.
1: <laughs> Are you still fighting?
2: Well, it's funny, I'm 55 now and after, since the release of my book I had a lady contact me and she's in West Australia which is like thousands of kilometres from me and apparently her and I were to fight um, 22 years ago, literally. Oh um, I never heard about it So, I, and she's only 44. Um, we had a bit of a chat. Yeah, she's only a young thing <laughs> and we're actually talking about um, setting up a fight um, to, to – the world's oldest women professional fighters to hop back in the ring. That's going to be how we promote it. And I'm frantically trying to lose weight as we speak.
1: <laughs> so, are you still in shape though?
2: No, not at all. Oh,
1: not at all. So, how long would you have to prepare for this?
2: Um, well, we've just given each other as long as it takes. Okay. You know, we're not in a hurry. Well, that here. would be
1: pretty cool. You'll have to keep mm. us abreast of what happens there.
2: We'll do. We'll do. <laughs> um, just before my Australian title, which is my third title. Um, he in the meantime, sorry, in. The, after the rape, um, after a while, he would make demands upon me, uh, sexual demands, and I'd just do it. You know, it was like, I'll get you another fight, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, so I became a casting couch bitch, as I'll call it, you know. Um, and about his demands, um, before Australian title fight, um, we had there was a training camp and another young student and he... Did, I warned her about him but she sort of didn't listen. I'll, I won't go right into it but um, for legal reasons. But, um, yeah, sh- she um, was raped by him and um, subsequently she did what I should have done. She reported him and eventually went up in court and he thought I was going to back him up but I ended up, I couldn't live with myself because I, I was witness to what happened. I didn't do anything about it. Um, she, so I backed her up in court. And, yeah, subsequently I had to plead guilty because or else he would have walked away again. Um, so I pleaded guilty and subsequently finally took him down with me. Really? But I pleaded guilty to something I didn't do but I was a witness to. if that makes any sense, you know. Um, yeah, because he's, he's walked away from several s- rapes um, where the women are then too scared to do anything about it. Um, so I knew something had to be done.
1: What was the outcome of the trial?
2: Oh, I got um, 12 months intensive corrections order, which is working within the community, and he got three years, but he got five years sentence. He only served three years in a comfortable country prison, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. low-risk prison, Um, yeah, and apparently five years later he re-offended, but the girl withdrew her charges, so, you know.
1: How did you protect yourself from him? Like, were you concerned about that when he got out?
2: Um, Yeah, um, well, I've, I've, you know, changed my surname and moved states, into states stuff like that, yeah, to protect my family too. But now this is the first time I've used my real name again in the book because I thought, well, you know what, I'm sick of hiding, Um, sick of crawling under a rock. And, of course, the media went nuts. What happened was um, when this all went down, it was more exciting to call us a – it was a cult, but it wasn't like – I was called his offside or whatever his you know um, type of thing and partner in crime sort of thing and it, it was just was not like that you know um, yeah so it was a bit of a mess I ended so, up in an asylum yeah
1: yeah that so tell so what happened there that you, you said you well, ended up in the psych ward what was that yeah all
2: about? what happened was the court case took um, I, I, I became a, a crown witness against him. I was also a victim, but that was inadmissible in court because it had nothing to do with that court case, and then I was also a guilty party. So one week we'd go to court, and the police would be polite to me and, you know, blah, 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 because I was on their side. The next week they'd be, you know, um, against me, and it just did my head in, and it dragged on for over 12 months, and I ended up trying to kill myself um, several times, yeah. And Why did you
1: want to kill yourself? What Did you feel you were a, fail- a failure at that point?
2: Yeah, yeah much
1: and how did you get out of that state
2: of mind um sometimes I still quite haven't to be honest
1: so you're still struggling with that yeah and in that struggle you are actually wanting to reach out and help other people
2: yeah it's a dude sorry don't be sorry. Don't that, be sorry. That's so long ago and it still eats me up inside. I'm so angry right now. And all I could do is hope that other women speak up like this girl did. You know, she, she had the guts to do – I was supposed to be the big fighter but she had more courage than me, you know. And now I just want to, you know, it took 20 years um, just say just for people not to hide, just somebody's doing something wrong. For God's sake, it's, my problem was – I was an adult when it happened. I was considered Australia's toughest woman. Do you know what I mean? I was 33 years old. Yeah. I was an ex-transit cop. I had it all going for me on the surface, and that's what stopped me from going to the police. I thought, who's going to believe me, you know? Um, and how am I going to prove it wasn't consensual, you know, all those sort of things? The thing is it wasn't consensual. And um, choosing the casting couch or letting people like that get away with it is not right, and he's still offending, you know? And this is what's still in my head in now. So we've got to speak up. people have to speak up. men and women, it's not just women that that's copy. right. That's nice right. too. Yeah. Well,
1: that is an incre- incredible message, you know, right there, just showing your emotion and wanting to be able, like I mentioned, to reach out and touch other people who may be suffering, who may be, um, you know, in a similar situation. Yes, and offering your support. I mean, that's huge. Pat Thank yourself you. on the back. That's huge. And, you know, we look at people, we you can't judge the book by the cover you know the old adage right yeah and just because it may look like tough on the outside we may be falling apart on the inside exactly and yet when we fall apart very often that's when we get the most strength and so i applaud you thank for you for coming forward and sharing that and we definitely yeah. will be talking more about that um uh-huh. so continue then so uh-huh. um were you, like, first of all, you, you mentioned mm-hmm. that you wanted to kill yourself several times. Yeah, yeah. You had gone through, I'm assuming, deep depression. Yes. You ended up in the psych ward. Uh-huh. How did you finally, I know you're still struggling with that and I understand yeah. that, but you had to pull up your bootstraps at some point. How did you do that? What helped you get um,
2: through? I don't know. Well, because I I was pretty certain that I was going to actually go to jail, um, and prior to that, I was a vegetarian um, so what happened is I started eating meat again I thought if I go to jail I don't want to draw attention to myself Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um, so I went back to eating all trying to you know you just go through weird thought things um and I think it was the the hospital I was in were brilliant um they you know sort of pulled me through it and then when my solicitor like I was promised that I could walk away and and be clear have my name clear that didn't happen um and I was also told I'd get that relocation thing, you know, um, witness protection. and But unbeknownst to me, they got all the information out of me. <laughs> I didn't make the deal before I gave out the information to the police, you know what I mean? So they mm-hmm. had everything they wanted. After the court case, I rang them and said, What's, when am I going to be relocated? And they said, oh, that's not going to happen, you know what I mean? So they pretty much tricked me. Um, so I was left, I thought I was going to be relocated and my family was going to be safe and that just didn't happen. So I was pretty much left floundering, yeah. Um, so I sort of... Stayed alive, thinking I was going to be okay, <laughs> and then wasn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you just deal with it. Yeah.
1: So you just de- you're dealing with it on a day to day
2: basis. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Like I did my community service, and it was in a wonderful place, and the staff there were. Fan- it was a nursing home, and the staff there were fantastic. So, sort of, um, helped my. Oh, what do you say? I'll put my faith back in people. Okay. You
1: know, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. faith in your fellow man yeah 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 so your book what Mm -hmm. inspired you to write your book and is it a self-help book is it a memoir tell us about that
2: Okay, it's basically, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of both, um, memoir and yeah, I'm hoping to by pretty much by speaking up. And I hate the line when people say, if I help one person, I'll, it'll be worth it. I don't want to help one person. I want to help pretty much everyone who's in this situation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yes. like, it's okay to say if I can help one person, but it's, <laughs> there's a lot of us out there. Um, and, Ex- example, even the lady I'm maybe fighting um, had a, exa- almost a similar experience to myself but she didn't, do it, so she didn't do anything about it either, you know, and I was horrified. It was like, oh, my God, like in my same era in the other side of Australia, somebody was copying the same thing off another male that I was, you know. It's, it's mind-blowing. So, yeah, the book's about um, here I am, I'll, you know, I'm a, I'm a criminal, blah, 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 I've been smashed to pieces by the media, um, and if I can speak up then you can too. And that's pretty much it.
1: And how long has your book been out?
2: Um, since October was the official release. Oh yep.
1: okay, all right. So is it is it written like a novel? Like is it a story or
2: <coughs> Yes, sorry, yeah, it's written like an autobiography, yes.
1: Okay, all right. And what kind of feedback have you received?
2: Oh, more than positive. We set up a website and a Facebook page, et cetera, and it's just been phenomenal. I was waiting for the big, you know, negative reaction and who the hell are you type of thing to write a book, but it's been quite the opposite. It's been fantastic.
1: (laughs) Well, that's a pleasant surprise then, right? (laughs) It was. That's
2: what, yeah, all the reasons I've been sort of just crawling under a rock all these years have just dissipated now and I have a fantastic partner who's been with me all the way through this journey. So, yeah, it's been great.
1: And what do you, do you uh, do any kind of seminars? You mentioned that at some point, that you're doing some kind of workshops or something.
2: Yes, we're we're hoping to. I've got a bit of a team uh, set up and we're now, we we would like to make a movie about it. Um, So I'm sort of heading down that path and yeah, I'm about to set up Podcasting and a few other things. I'm not very computer literate, so I've got a guy that's actually a young fella. As you do, you get a young person to do stuff, <laughs> and he's the one that's managing my websites and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we're going to look at yeah, possibly webinars and seminars. Um, it's all still early stages yet. Yeah, just to put the feelers okay. out, see how the book goes. Yeah.
1: Well, what would you what would you gear it towards?
2: Um, the self help side, the speaking up uh, It's basically what i'm trying to there's a lot in place now which is great for kids that are being bullied in schools we're fine okay. you know, but there's not still not much for adults who've had held on to secrets for 10 years 20 years 30 years you know there are so many people that like myself you just keep something inside you know and that's the people i want i'd like to reach like the the adults where you don't think anyone's going to believe you we we all have you know, i believe a lot of us have something um that may be eating this up inside and it'd be great to help people like that. Just, just to see if I can do it, you can, you know, speak up and, and even just talk to somebody that you trust. It doesn't have to be, you know, we're not setting up any self-help group or counselling sessions mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's more... It's similar to, say, for example, Alcoholics Anonymous, the system they have, um, where it's just people who've done the same thing as yourself, get together and have a chat, and you'd be surprised if you tell someone your secret and you know theirs, nobody's going to blab, and you both feel better, you know? And that's the sort of thing I'd like to help people see.
1: So you want to do one-on-ones, essentially.
2: Um, yeah, whatever, you know, um, just, yeah, people just get together and you yeah, can contact us or whatever on via the Facebook page and, yeah, see if we can help out.
1: Well, you certainly have had a broad uh, spectrum of things that you've encountered in your life. Mm-hmm. And so you you take all that and you put it all together, and you can empathize with people from a variety of uh, of places. It's not just uh, sure. women who have been bullied or women who have been raped or anything no. else. But you've also you've struggled with the gay issue. You've struggled mm-hmm. with, you know, like you said, your your race. Um, there's mm-hmm. been many mm-hmm. areas where you have had to overcome, yes. and you know, tap inside and gain your strength mm. and and um and yet you still are showing how vulnerable you can be even going through all that and that's beautiful mm-hmm. to be able to show that even though we are vulnerable we can still reach out and help others and what happens that's is whenever wrong. you help somebody else what happens you help yourself
2: yeah yeah exactly
1: and so my hat is off to you because you are you are venturing out into mm-hmm. a place where not only you have never done been before but maybe where a lot of other people want to come you know on the journey with you and yes. be able to share their story i think that's excellent and you've you've raised some legitimate points is there anything else you want to add michelle
2: um yeah, no, that that's exactly right. The other thing is one of my other small goals, and it's not about self-promotion, it's more I'd like to, I am setting myself up as a, a biographer for people who want to speak up and if they'd like their um, their story told, I'm more than willing to write their story for them, but they 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 maintain full 100% ownership of the book, you know, copyright and all that, where I just... Um, write the book, charge a small fee, and then send them on their way with the book ready for publishing, and that <laughs> way they can have their say. That's one of my little um, projects that I'm working on because sometimes people can't speak but they can write stuff down. That's you know, right. Journalise it, right. and journalising, journaling was what got me through it. I think just spilling my guts. Like the book I had was the size of a telephone book when I first started. Really? <laughs> so you, so you, you kept imagine. a
1: journal, and that was of your pain. Um, Is that what you?
2: Yeah. Well, it was. I, what I did. I when I was in my i would moved, like, interstate from where I was. Um, I took up – I knew I wanted to write a biography. When I finally sort of what I call came to my senses, Um, so I took up a writing course. I did four years and got my diploma in writing before I put pen to paper. So I figure but a lot of people don't have the funds or time to do that, but they still have something to say, but they can't speak about it, and I'd like to be there for those people, you know. Well, you
1: are phenomenal, Michelle. Reaching out to others, I – I'm sure as we were just doing this um, this broadcast today, mm-hmm. I definitely saw, you know, uh, the, how that came out. It was, yep. you know, you started with um, basically what you wanted the world to see as you are. Mm-hmm. But what mm-hmm. we really got into was who you really are. And that's what this is about because that's what people are going to relate to. Is this is the mm-hmm. real me, no holds barred, here I am. Mm -hmm. If you can empathize with me, if you've been through what I have been through, let's talk. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly right. That is perfect because there's so many people who feel like they don't have a voice. Yes. And so you want to be their voice. And I think that is Mm -hmm. excellent and appreciated. Thank you. So we definitely will be... um, in the show notes, we will be putting all your mm-hmm. contact information, of course, your Fabulous. book. Fabulous. And mm-hmm. people will be able to contact you or mm-hmm. buy your book on Amazon. Yep. The name That's of the correct. book is No Glory For Me. Tell me about the title.
2: Um, yeah, it was initially going to be um, We All Make Mistakes, but then I thought, no, because mistakes are just, can be really little, and mine wasn't the mistake. It was a <laughs> massive error in, in absolute judgment and everything. It was just wrong, wrong, wrong on all levels, and I thought, well... I, I can never. At that stage, my mindset was: well, all other boxing heroes or champions can sit ringside and watch their, you know, peers or juniors training and fighting, and I, I'll never have that joy. I'll never be announced in a ring as the former champion, blah blah. So there was no glory in it for me. Nothing, you know. I couldn't open up a gym or a dojo under my name, so I felt there was just no glory in in what I'd achieved, um, and that's that's where the title came from.
1: Okay. And what do you see in your future?
2: Um, it's all—it's all very exciting at the moment. They're just the positive. The book was more an explanation to my friends and family, yeah. and the way it's taken off is um, phenomenal. So I'm really um, my head's spinning at the moment with the contacts I've made and people that are helping out and joining in. It's just fantastic. And as I said, I've had—I've got a team working with me, and there's no money exchanging hands, you know, because every I've sort of put every cent I own into the book. Um, we're all just Believe the same things and working together to make some something happen for people who need to excellent. speak out. Yeah,
1: excellent goal. So and it's exciting. This mm-hmm. is both ebook and uh, paper book, or yep, yep, ebook, okay. Kindle.
2: Yeah, I think it's six different types of electronic books and and the paper copy. Yep, paper bag. Okay,
1: very good. Well, I thank you, and I thank you for sharing from your heart today, Michelle. And we will stay in touch, and we will mm-hmm. expect to hear good things. And I thank hope you. that um, people will be contacting you, especially those who need to yeah. speak, whether it be mm-hmm. privately, but they know that yep. it's going to be, and even anonymously, I'm I'm assuming yeah, yeah. that you, okay, very good.
2: For sure, yeah, and look, everything stays you know what gets spoken stays where it where it's at. You know between the two people, and that's it.
1: Because it's a very sensitive subject, and people mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, don't feel that they can reach out and talk to somebody. So, yeah, exactly. your availability to do that is is mm-hmm. marvelous, and we thank you so thank much. Thank you, thank you, you so much, much for the airtime. Abs- I
2: appreciate your help too.
1: Absolutely, it's awesome. Michelle, it's been awesome.
2: Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye.